So for me, to disrupt the status quo means that we understand our client's business, we understand that that's, there's changes happening, um, and because that change is happening, we are looking at the way we can deliver our services to our client and saying, we're going to be disruptive. We're going to deliver a solution that is different, um, that accomplishes our client's goals. And you know, there's many ways in which we can do that. Disrupting the status quo is all about uh, doing something or breaking away from the practice of this is how we've always done it. You know, uh, it's all about uh, thinking differently and doing something uh, differently uh, with a focus on improvement and efficiency, impact and delivering additional value to, uh, to the organization internally or to clients in general. It can be very messy because it's not what you do every day. It could be different than what you, it could be uncomfortable, it could be something like putting your arms like this and then switching it and it's just uncomfortable. So, um, but it's needed. Otherwise, you'll just stay the same, you won't change, you won't grow. It's exciting, it's change. Um, it's taking a look at, at what the current climate is in the industry, in a system or a process, and looking outside of that, and what's new, and, and how can we attack the same uh, problems and issues, and look at it in a new light. Not accepting what is in place, but figuring out ways to do things differently, bringing ideas forward. Now, all the ideas aren't going to be right, and they're not all going to be accepted, but, um, but not looking at anything as a kind of a static type of environment, always trying to improve every day, every minute, every hour. I don't think I've ever gone to a conference in my life that somebody didn't talk about breaking the status quo, changing the status quo. Probably, many of you have either read or heard Ronald Reagan's famous definition of the status quo. He said it's Latin for the mess we're in. We had a great time during the Influence Conference speakers. By the way, I'd encourage you to go to ag.org, simple A. G, as somebody's got ag.org, and they will have some of the speakers listed too that I would encourage you to listen to. Roger Madhu preached a phenomenal message about how God will use your offense to bring you to a place of miracle. You need to listen to that message. And Sunday morning, Randall Ross, who is the pastor of one of the great churches in the United States, Naperville Calvary Church in Naperville, Illinois, he was a young man that grew up in a preacher's home became angry, an angry atheist when he went to college, hair halfway down his back, strung out on LSD and how he came to find Jesus in a real personal way that radically changed him. He said when he met Jesus for real as an adult, his father was worried that something else had happened, his mind had snapped, and they almost had him institutionalized for his conversion experience. I would encourage you to hear that. But along the way also, there was training, instruction, encouragement about doing things different than we do them today. The, the phrase changing or challenging the status quo has almost become passe. One article I read this week said, challenging the status quo is about as inspirational as penguins walking on the beach. Today, a call to challenge the status quo seems tired and played out. And honestly, what does it even look like? 
Does challenging the status quo mean becoming an anti-establishment rebel or constantly pointing out the flaws in your organization or being the manager who zigs when everyone else zags? And when this author was done blasting the idea of challenging the status quo, then the rest of the article was about how to challenge the status quo. And what he was trying to say is, well, we've gotten tired maybe of hearing the phrase, it's a reality that we all need to consider. And as the secular world looks at that on a regular basis, the church needs to look at that as well. Um, Challenging the status quo should be the desire of every believer. Albert Einstein said, we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. We can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. While the gospel never changes, everything else does. And we need to be growing in our lives, our marriage, and our relationships. Now, the phrase status quo has been around since the 1700s. But I just learned there is an actual religious document that is titled The Status Quo of Holy Places. It's been institutionalized in a document titled The Status Quo. It describes an understanding between religious communities that applies to certain places in Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Now watch this. I'll give you a little bit of background. The status quo agreement resulted from a decree in the Ottoman Sultan Osman III in 1757 that preserved the division of ownership and responsibilities of various sites important to Christians, Muslims, and Jews and their then current holders or owners and represented agreements among this diverse group that various religious places could not be changed from the way that they were at the moment without upsetting the balance of order and maintaining the religious sites for visits by pilgrims. So they came up with this decree, nothing will change in our religious sites because we want the pilgrims to come. Further decree was issued in 1852, another one in 1853 that affirmed the provisions of the 1757 decree. While they were never formally established in a single document, There was a 1929 summary prepared by L.G.A. Cust, a civil servant of the British mandate, and that became the standard text on the subject. So I want you to see, just in the Holy Land, there is a document that's called the status quo. How has that worked out? One of the sites is the ancient Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. And although no Protestants have any voice in the administration of the church, six other religious entities do. Greek Orthodox, Armenian Apostolic, Roman Catholic, Coptic Orthodox, Syriac Orthodox, and Ethiopian Orthodox. And the most famous example of the power of the SQR is at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and it's called the Immovable Ladder. That ladder cannot be moved. Nobody remembers why it got there or how it got there, but it cannot be moved because at the time of the document's inception, that ladder was there, 
and it can't be moved because it has always been there and we have always done it that way. <laughs> the ladder cannot be moved. It's immovable due to an understanding that no cleric of the six orthodox orders can move or rearrange it. How has that played out? Well, it's also created some fights. Now, I have to tell you, the more I read this article, the more I thought of the assemblies of God <laughs> and my time on the presbytery. The title of the message is The Case of the Rooftop Chair. And on the roof of this church, there were chairs that had been placed there that could not be moved. One of the monks was sitting in a chair in the sun, and he wanted to move it to the shade. And when he started to move it to the, the shade, the other monks stood up and began to argue with him that you cannot move that chair. We cannot interrupt the status quo. That cannot be changed. That chair has always been there and will always be there. You say, well, that wouldn't happen at Brian. Oh, yeah, I was on the presbytery. When a complaint came from this church to the presbytery because somebody dared move the chairs in the foyer. I'm not talking about what happened in Israel. I'm talking about what happens in churches in America. Shout now, somebody. <laughs> this is us. As they argued, it broke out into a fist fight. The Israeli police were called and had to restore order. Eleven monks, Egyptian and Ethiopian, were involved, and several of them were hospitalized. <laughs> Welcome to Christian faith, and we wonder why the world walks away. Sometimes the way we've done it is more important than the way we should do it. Hello? <laughs> well... Now, I'm not suggesting that the status quo is always a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing. I believe that if you buy a piece of property and there's a fence post that's standing in your yard, you should find out why it was put there before you tear it down. And in times of chaos and turmoil and danger, the status quo can maintain stability. But it's in times of uncertainty that it works. In times of growth and development and success in outreach the status quo will make sure that none of those things ever happen. The status quo will never produce growth or success. Hebrews chapter 11, Faith's Hall of Fame, are all about individuals that chose to not be limited by the way things used to be. How can you say that? Well, when you go to verses um, 12 and 13, I believe it is, you read there that, that they were looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And here's what it says. If they had been mindful of the country they had come from, they would never have found the country they were going to. In the Old Testament, when the new tabernacle was built, God said to them, do not ever say the glory of the old tabernacle was greater than the glory of the new tabernacle tabernacle. Looking back to the past as a model for the present will keep us from marching into the future. I'm not preaching that because I think there's a problem here, but to remind us 
that if we're going to be everything that God wants us to be, even the way we're doing things now, need to be open to question and evaluation and challenge. Bud Ruggia from Kiowa, Kansas, retired minister, said, one of my insights after years of ministry is that the church fails far more often by asking too little of its people than by asking too much. Listen to this. Jesus did not ask us to put a cross-shaped sticker on our bumper. He asked us to take up our cross and follow him. That's a life of change, of adventure. We should all be growing. Your job should be a place where you're growing in your skill set. Your marriage should be a place where you're growing in your relationship. I enjoy looking back sometimes at our wedding album, what happened, the, all the pictures of the wedding ceremony and that beautiful powder blue tuxedo that I wore with the blue patent leather shoes. I love looking back and thank God that things have changed. And you look at those pictures and you smile when you look at your wedding pictures. Oh, there was such love there. There was such warmth there. But I'm going to tell you, I have no desire to go back to that day and start over. It's taken too long for Carol to train me. I don't want to go back and go through all that training again. How many know what I'm talking about? Your life is different. Love is stronger today. It's learned some things. It may not be as frothy, but it is more substantive, and it's lasting and stable because as we've gone along, our relationship has changed. I've changed. She's changed. Our family has changed. It has made us stronger. And in a marriage, if you don't change as you go along the way, that marriage will die because it can't stay the same. Your job will stagnate. 42 years of experience is different than one year of experience 42 times. It's growing and stretching and learning. And the length of days of a church is not the measuring rod. It's the impact of the church in its present day. How can we make sure we aren't enslaved by the status quo rules? Well, I want to take the five characters that the writer of Hebrew uses coming up to that whole part about the journey, not looking back and looking forward and see what happened in their lives. And I'd like for you to journey with me first, Abel. These are the things that God did in them to break the status quo in their life. Abel gave. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. Abel still speaks today. I don't know if any of you think about your legacy or what you'll leave behind, but all of us will leave something behind. And it seems to me that the older you get, the more we begin to think about our legacy. What will follow us? And I want to leave something behind of substance that encourages the next generation. Abel went beyond that. I don't have any expectation that three generations after I die will have any memory of who I was. I wish I could change that, but I've gone to funerals of some of the great men of God that led our state. And after they're gone about 10 years, 
I mean, after they've left office about 10 years and go to the funeral, and the few number of people that come that even know them, it's not usual to be able to leave a legacy that continues on for generations behind you. But Abel did. Abel left a testimony that still speaks today. Now, I'm not suggesting that the way to do that is to have your brother murder you. That's not the goal. But his blood still speaks today because he gave a better offering. I've read that. I've studied that. I've prayed over it. And until I read Robert Morris's take on this section, I don't feel like I ever really fully understood it. But what I discovered from his teaching and reading the scripture, that if you just read the scripture, it's very, very clear. The difference, I'm convinced, was not because Abel had a blood offering and that Cain had a grain offering, though we make a big deal about that, and scripture doesn't tell us that. Why do I not believe that's the case? Because in Old Testament worship, they brought grain offerings and they brought animal offerings. That couldn't be the case. When you read the text, here's what you discover. Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground. Abel brought the fat of the firstborn. Do you know what God wants from us? The fat of the first. The tithe isn't the last 10, it's the first 10. And if you want to break out of the status quo, try doing something you knew with your giving. I promise you, I can guarantee it that something new will happen in your life when you commit yourself to do something new with your giving. If you want to see God move, when you're faithful with that which is least your money, you'll be faithful with that which is much, and God will honor that. In fact, he said that when you bring your tithe to the storehouse, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you can't contain. And you say, Pastor, I get tired of hearing you talk about money. Well, you're going to hear about it till you go to heaven because Jesus said more about money than he did about hell. He said more about money than he did about heaven because how you handle your money has a great pressure on whether you go to heaven or hell. Do something different. Stretch a bit. I remember being at family camp. We were in our first pastorate and uh, barely making enough to get by, and they were taking a special offering and I felt like God told us to give $100. And today, that's not the same impact as it was then. I'll admit that. But it was I hadn't given $100 in my life. My tithe check weekly was about $25 on good weeks when I did get paid. There were some weeks that I didn't get paid. $100. All right, I'll do it. Wrote the check. Now, here's the other side of that. Uh, just, I'm, I'm going to brag on my wife. I don't think there's ever been a time in our marriage that she's said no to what I felt like we should give. I have said to her, we need to think about what she wanted to give. <laughs> Is anybody hearing me now? <laughs> so we gave it. I don't know. At the end of the month, I don't know. Listen, here's how our budget was. At the end of one month, we had 10 bucks left over. We bought a cardboard dresser and a broom. Hallelujah. It was so exciting. But I discovered something. 
that God can do. This is, a, this is the truth. I'm telling you, it's the truth. I wish all of us could get a hold of this. God will do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%. And we got to the end of that month, and we had extra. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it took place, but I began to understand Listen, there is supernatural power released when you do something new with your giving. Abel broke out of the status quo because he didn't do what was simply the minimal. He did what was the maximum. He gave the fat of the first fruit to God. And because of that, his story is still being told today. Are you stuck in a rut? Spiritually, you're not going anywhere? Maybe it's time for you to do something new. Maybe it's time for you to start tithing off the first fruit. Maybe it's time to go from 10% to 12%. Maybe it's time to start doing more for missions. But I'm telling you, is there anyone in the house this morning, there's an exciting adventure that's embarked on when you challenge the status quo with giving more than you've given before and giving it with joy and excitement and watching what God does. You will tear down the status quo and they'll talk about you in generations to come. Amen. Well, that's good stuff. I'll amen myself. I'm glad I'm back this morning. Amen. <laughs> he gave. He, <laughs> he gave. Supernatural things happen in response to giving. Enoch. Enoch broke the status quo because he pleased by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Enoch bypassed death. Bypassing death, to me, is a pretty big deal. You heard the story of the pastor on a Sunday night preaching his heart out, and he said, how many of you want to go to heaven? How many of you want to go to heaven? And there was a little boy in the front row with his hands locked like this. People were putting their hands up all over. Afterwards, the pastor asked him, do you not want to go to heaven? Oh, yeah, I want to go to heaven. Why didn't you raise your hand? Because I thought you were getting a group up tonight. <laughs> it's not going to heaven that's a problem, but have you ever been with someone who died? The doorway between life and heaven is sometimes a very, very difficult one. It's not always easy. You say, well, it's always easy for believers. You haven't been around enough people who are dying. Sometimes believers panic in that moment. The waters of death can overwhelm them, and they need believers around them to sustain them. It's a scary thing. It's an unknown. And however strong your faith is, the doorway from this life to the next is not a pleasant one. Death is our enemy. It's not one we aspire to. And I want to get to the other side. I'm just not sure I want to take the journey. So to bypass death... We hope for the rapture of the church. But if that doesn't happen, there's only one way to get to heaven. And that's by dying. And that's not a pleasant process for many people. Enoch bypassed that. <laughs> I'd call that breaking the status quo. When you do something no one else has done, that's called breaking the status quo. We're still talking about it today. In fact, Enoch is a type of the church that will be raptured. It's one of the reasons we believe in the rapture of the church. Why was Enoch in the place that God said, I'm going to make an example out of you, and you're going to do something that no one else has ever done and will never do again until I return to take my 
church home. It's because he lived to please God. Pleasing God requires a life of faith. And there are really three components to pleasing God that are in this chapter. Here they are. You have to believe that he is. <laughs> I, I, I worry sometimes that we have practical atheists who are evangelicals. We, we say we believe in God and we've prayed to him, but we act as though and live our lives as though he doesn't exist. How many know what I'm talking about? We have to live as though he is real. We have to believe that he is. He is. He's not distant or far off. If you're going to please God, you have to believe that he is and live your life like that and believe that he rewards. So when someone says, I don't know if God hears me, I don't know if God will come through, that's an atheistic faith because faith that pleases God believes that he is and that he rewards. Those go together and keep your life on an even path because you have a confidence that by faith I know that he is alive and by faith I know that he lives and will reward those that, now here's the crux of the matter, that diligently seek him. It means to seek out, to crave, or to demand. And you're not demanding anything of God. You're demanding to know God. It's an intentional and intensive pursuit of God. Do you want to break the status quo? Watch. You don't live your life by a set of rules that says, if I do these things, God will be pleased. It's not by doing more sacrifice than anyone else. It's not about giving more than anyone else. It's not about living a way that people will wonder how you can do that. It's about a diligent, intensive, and intentional pursuit of God. It's more than the crowd who are content to believe that they're saved and going to heaven. It's are you diligently seeking him? One morning... I came in from the gym and couldn't find my wallet. My wife wasn't home. She was already on her way to work, and that was to my advantage because I lose things on occasion that are on the dresser. <laughs> How many men would admit to having male blindness when you open the refrigerator? Where's the ketchup? It's right in front of the milk right there. I did a diligent search. I'm thinking I'm going to have to cancel credit cards. I'm going to have to get my, someone stole it. It's not in my gym bag. I was keeping my gym bag. It's not there. It's been stolen. Where's my wallet? And I went through everything and I did a diligent search and I wasn't going to stop until I found it. Then after all of my digging, I sat at the table and said, Jesus, I'm exhausted. I know you know where it is. Where's my wallet? <laughs> now, here's what I believe. I don't think he would have told me until I put forth diligent effort. He's not my excuse. He's not my scapegoat. But sometimes we need to know that when we come to the end of our resources, he's at the beginning of his and I saw my gym bag in my truck, and when I got in my truck, I threw it in, and I saw it slide out of the gym bag down the side of the seat in the crack there where it couldn't be seen. I walked out, and that's exactly where it was. 
The point is, if you diligently seek him, he will make sure that you find him and your pursuit of him is much more important than a wallet, a credit card, or a license. Is anyone hearing me this morning? Is your life marked by a diligent pursuit of him to please him? Pleasing him is pursuing him. It's believing. It's not doing. It's in being. It's not in acting out. It's in experiencing him. Are you in a diligent pursuit of him? Number three, Noah listened. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Status quo killed everyone on planet earth. It had never rained. They had never seen a flood. For 600 years, they mocked Noah. He's a preacher of righteousness. No one is listening. But a day came when they got in the ark and God shut the door and let the world mock if they want they mocked in that day and drowned. They'll mock in this day and drown. The truth of the matter is there is an ark of safety for everyone who will believe the covenant and enter on the inside. Do you know that every people group in the world, primitive or not, has a story of a worldwide flood? While atheists and sociologists try to tell us it didn't happen, every culture has a story about a worldwide flood. Why? Because God wants us to understand that living by the status quo and by the ways of this world system will kill you. But you've got to come to a place that you listen to the voice of God and obey what he says. This world is going the wrong direction. Ridiculed and mocked, but he saved his family. Why? Because he listened to God. Breaking the status quo in your life requires that you listen to God. In holy fear, he believed what God had said. He didn't believe what he confessed. He confessed what he heard. And what's wrong with the prosperity movement and the confession movement in years gone by is that we've done the opposite. We confess what we want God to hear. We need to confess what God wants us to hear. Those are not the same. When you hear from him, you listen. Do you know that scripture is all about hearing God? We walk by faith, not by sight. Do you know on the day of Pentecost, I'm working on a message on this one, so you're going to get a little head start on it. But I hear all the time people saying on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, there was a wind that blew into Jerusalem. There was not a wind. There was not a wind. I said there was not a wind. There was a sound. There was a sound from heaven. Do you know when David prayed and the armies had gathered against him, he heard the sounds of marching in the tops of the trees before he ever saw the army of God. When Elijah prayed at the end of the drought, he said, I hear the abundance of rain. And it was later that he saw the, the cloud the size of a man's hand. Listen to me. You will always hear the voice of God before you see the manifestation of God. Elijah is in a cave, and he sees a wind. He sees a fire. He sees an earthquake, and God isn't in any of those. Where is God in the cave? In the still, small voice, in the quietness of your soul. We've got to learn to hear the voice of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, and the ability to hear comes by 
by the word of God. Spend time in the word of God. Spend time in prayer. That's why the disciples said, we must give ourselves continually to the word of God and to prayer. That's when you break out of the status quo. When you hear God say something that's different than the world around you, that's different where you've been, I promise you, when you step out in the will of God, hearing his voice, supernatural things will come to pass. The problem with the Pentecostal church is we're looking for something before we'll listen. That's why we'll never see it. Why don't we see more miracles? Because we're looking for them. You want to see more miracles? Start listening. How important is this? When Jesus comes back, we'll hear him before we see him. Amen. <laughs> the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. If you want to hear him then, you need to learn to hear him now. Supernatural powers released. Well, I've never heard the voice of God. Oh, yes, you have. You've heard it over and over again. You just weren't aware of it because the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. He lights in his way. You've responded to him in ways you don't understand, but you need to cultivate an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the church. And Noah heard. Noah obeyed. Noah understood what God had said to him, and that's what you and I need to do today. Listen for the voice of God. Noah broke the status quo because he listened. Now watch. The voice of God in his spirit was louder than the voice of the jeers around him. And until the voice of God in you is louder than the voices around you, you will not break out of the status quo. But when you learn to hear his voice and the voice of God in you is louder than the voices around you, you will save your family. <laughs> Noah broke out of the status quo because he listened to the voice of God. Number four, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham got lost before he got started. Can you imagine that travel itinerary with Sarah? Where are we going? I don't know. Well, should we ask directions? How can we ask directions? I don't even know where we're headed. He left where he was without knowing where he was going. And he became the father of the Jewish nation and the father of all who believe because he was willing to leave the status quo behind. He was willing to obey what God had said. He heard and he obeyed. You can't excel by saying static or stagnant. While the past has tremendous value, it becomes our mooring. It helps us determine our direction. Without the past, we wouldn't be able to know if we're moving forward. It has great lessons for us to learn, but we can't stay anchored to it. We have to move forward. Kathleen Norris, in a book called Spiritual Geography, said this. Listen, disconnecting from change does not recapture the past. It loses the future. 
when we hold on tightly to the past, we disconnect from change. And she is saying disconnecting from change does not preserve our past, it loses our future. Many of us already know more than we're putting into practice. Obeying, just simply obeying him will break the status quo. And then lastly, Sarah. Sarah considered. (laughs) This is such a great story. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, does anybody know how old Abraham was at this point? He was 100 years old. How old was Sarah? 90. Do you know if a couple stood up in our church and said they were believing God for a baby, we would put them in therapy? <laughs> They're delusional. Sarah herself was barren, and I, I want you, this, this really grabbed hold of my heart. She was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Now, I know that that's referring to his response. I get that. But I'm going to imply something from the text about Sarah. She had to believe as well. And if you go back in the story, at one place she laughs, and as rebuked, she laughs again. But there's a place where you have to consider that what God has said is true, and she submitted to her husband. She believed what was said, and I'm going to apply that same text to her, that together they considered that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. You can say the same thing here about Sarah that you do about Abraham. Status quo is what has been. Sarah began to believe what could be. To consider means to rule over what God said ruled over everything. Here's what I want you to get. Status quo will leave you barren. Thinking about the character and nature of God will produce offspring. And if we just stay where we've been, we will never become who he wants us to be. All across this country, you can find barren churches because they've never really considered what God could do if they would believe his promise. So for you and I this morning, I could say to you, you've got to give, consider, but that may not be your key. For Abel, it was giving. For Enoch, it was pleasing. For Noah, it was listening. For Abraham, it was obeying. And for Sarah, it was considering. What will it be for you? What will it take to break you out of the comfort you're in to experience the adventure he wants you to have? Something, a key that will break us all out of the status quo. Pastor Nathan, you come.
I don't say this to be derogatory of anybody or anything and understand how things happen. But I can't get this picture out of my mind. And uh, Mike and Maureen, you'll know exactly what I'm going to talk about here in a moment. They were in the church with us in Oline, the first church we pastored. We were there from 1982 to 1988. Um, how many of you were not alive yet in 88? Let me see your hands. You children. <laughs> the church is closed. I talk about Oline as graduate school. I could take a whole afternoon and tell you the crazy things that happened while we were there. I shared them with our presbyter at one of our meetings, and he said, Gary, you know that what you're going through isn't normal, right? And I said, no, I don't know that. This isn't what everybody does, you know? Um, and then we had a breakthrough. And the church began to grow and prosper, and we began to be able to pay our bills, and there was impact being made in the community. We left in 88. Just a few months ago, I went back. The church is closed. It was a brand new building in 1979. I remember the whole missions theme, all wine in 79. And they raised money to start a building plan that then the church, fledgling church, had to build. And I walked back in just a few months ago. Church is closed. It's Hub City. 6,000 people, and still, while it's had decline, the cities around still come in to do their business. I walked in. The carpet. So how many years ago that was? 22 and 9, 31 years ago. Is the same carpet that was there when we left. The window coverings were the same window coverings that were there when we left. The St. Louis Music Company crate speakers that were a big deal in that day. We, we got rid of the custom rolled amps and speakers and put in these hot new St. Louis Music crate speakers in the corner. It was cool. Are still there. And I'm not making this up. I walked in and Buddy Barrel was sitting in the same place on the step where I left him. 31 years later. The status quo will kill you. It'll kill you. It'll kill a church. We've made some changes around here, and I want you to know I have a dream for more changes to come. We've been dreaming and talking as a staff, and it's not about being cool. It's about being effective. How can we be more effective for the kingdom? It's going to require some things, but the church can never move forward until we individually become wholly dissatisfied, H-O-L-Y, dissatisfied with where we are, a holy dissatisfaction that moves us into a new place. How would you... How would you like to pray for someone? Is that me? What... How would you like to pray for someone and see blind eyes open? Daniel, how would you like to share your faith with someone at work 
and find them experience Jesus for the very first time. How many of you would like to see something in your life that you have never seen before? Let me see your hands. Eight of you, great. Come on, help me. It won't happen, listen to me, it won't happen because the lights work. It won't happen because the building has power or air. The church will break out of the status quo when we break out of the status quo. You cannot stay where you are today for the next 12 months and stay in the blessing of God. So here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask everyone that will, and some of you may not be able to physically, may not be able to, it may make you uncomfortable. I get that. But if you're willing to say, God, <laughs> break the status quo in me so I can break the status quo in the world around me. And it might save my family. It might leave a legacy. It might open a doorway into a new place of life. If you're willing to say this morning, Jesus, break me out of the status quo, and then you're willing for that to happen, I want you just to come up in this altar area just for a minute. Would you do that? Would you stand up? Everyone stand, please. And if you can, if, if it doesn't work for you, it makes you uncomfortable. I get that. Totally okay. But those of you, I just want you to come up here. Pastor Nathan is going to lead us just in a moment of worship. And I just want you to listen. God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to do in me? What in me needs to change? And let's close by taking a moment to say, Jesus, break the status quo in my life. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Come Holy Spirit, try bones.
not want to be the church of the immovable ladder or the rooftop chair. I want to be the church where men and women, boys and girls are finding Jesus as Lord and Savior and being set free from their bondages and addictions and finding new life in Christ. But the church can't be that. We have to be that. And so my prayer I want to encourage you to make the same prayer as we come into the fall, a new season of harvest, coming into that time of year where the Midwest is all about the harvest. Why not say, God, give me a new combine, give me a new ability, give me a new opportunity, let me be different than I am today. Jesus, hear our cry. Do in us what needs to be done to break us out of the status quo. In Jesus' name, amen. I still hear this on occasion. I've even heard that recently it happened here that a new person came and was informed by somebody that they were sitting in their chair. So I want you to turn, take someone by the hand, look them in the eye and say, from now on, you can have my chair. <laughs> Will you? Shake someone, look them in the eye. You can have my chair. God bless you. Greet one another. Be a blessing.